Welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by one of our very own Catholic Exchange writers, Mary Beth Bracey. You'll be familiar with Mary Beth's works, especially her writings about the saints. And today, she's actually here to talk to us because she, on this past Divine Mercy Sunday a few weeks ago, married Jesus Christ Immortal. That is, she completed her vocation as a consecrated virgin. And this is a vocation that I am not very familiar with and that I think many of our listeners may have heard of in passing, but don't know the ins and outs. So today she's here to give us a rundown on what this beautiful vocation is and how she lives it out. Mary Beth, thanks for joining. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Of course. So you you wrote in a, an article for your local um, Catholic paper and then have also discussed this, that this vocation really is something that you know, it, you wear a bridal dress when you go through the ceremony, but it's also, it, it contains elements that people might think go more with the religious life, but it's also in the world. So could you give us a brief definition and history of this vocation? Sure. So it's actually the oldest form of consecrated life in the church. It goes back to the first centuries of the church. There's one tradition that says St. Matthew, the evangelist, consecrated virgins. So um, back to apostolic times when women wanted to give themselves totally to Jesus, um, the bishop would confer a special blessing, a special consecration. And from that point on, they were considered consecrated means kind of to set apart. So they were considered to be, in the words of the fathers of the church, the bride of Christ. So that tradition has carried on over the centuries. And some of the female saints we hear about in the Eucharistic prayer, like Agnes, Cecilia, Lucy, Anastasia, um, they are, they were also all consecrated virgins. So coming up to the present time in terms of consecrated virginity, mm-hmm. how it's different than religious life is, if you think about it, it's kind of analogous to the priesthood, the diocesan priesthood, in that a consecrated virgin is consecrated for her diocese, so she stays in the same area. Um, a consecrated virgin is under the obedience of her bishop and a consecrated virgin, even she doesn't take a a vow of poverty because she lives in the world. So she's responsible for supporting herself. So for instance, another famous consecrated virgin, um, was St. Macrina the Younger, and she was the older sister of St. Basil and St. Gregory of Nyssa. And she, um, she lived at home, but she helped care for her younger siblings and the their land and so on and so forth. Um, and she was also known as a teacher because she actually helped instruct them in the faith. Um, so consecrated virgins can live with their family of origin if they want. They could they could live with other consecrated virgins, um, but they're in the world. So they could also be like healthcare providers. They could work for the church, a variety of different occupations. Okay. And of course, everyone knows you're a writer and you also have this background in education. So in your discernment journey, how did those roles help you to understand when you were discerning either between the religious life and this vocation that this position in the world was really something that spoke to you the most? Um, So that's an excellent question. I think that my vocational journey kind of in part went part and parcel with writing. Um, Shortly after my confirmation, I remember starting to publish articles in my diocesan newspaper. And I think that when you write about something, as you know, it really kind of 
um, in a sense, you're like learning throughout the process. Mm -hmm. And it can also be like really, I guess, cathartic. So um, it really helped me on my journey to write and to learn more about my faith and to kind of discern where God was leading me. Um, in terms of education, I loved working with young people, um, but I kind of knew that over time that that wasn't going to necessarily be where I was going to end up. And I really needed some place, especially as I was discerning this vocation, to have more time for for prayer and solitude. Um, and then I did look at different religious communities. But then I also came across a book by Father Thomas Dubé on consecrated virginity and the celibate life. And he outlined several different types of consecrated life. And when I read about consecrated virginity, it really resonated with me. And consecrated virgins are supposed to be mystically betrothed to Jesus. So that idea also really um, resonated with me. So um, I did look at other types of communities and so on, but I really believe that this is where God was calling me through a lot of prayer, through discernment. Spiritual direction is really important also through the process. And then there's also a formation process too. Mm -hmm. So as part of the formation process, I know you got a master's degree, right? And you had additional education that you had to go through. Um, and so your life, it seems, has already been moving on this trajectory where many of the things that are endemic to the vocation were things that you were naturally drawn to anyway. So since you've taken the vows, in what ways has your day-to-day -day life changed? Are there additional responsibilities or a different prayer routine? What is that like? So I guess I, I feel like God was kind of preparing me to come to this point. So sometimes it might not seem a whole lot different um, from what I was doing prior to this. However, I guess maybe um, doing it with more intentionality. So um, there's kind of the presupposition when a woman becomes a consecrated virgin that she's already been living maybe a private vow of virginity for some time. So when the bishop consecrate her, consecrates her during the rite, we resolve to always remain virgins and to be in service of the church and to be a bride of Christ. Um, so another important aspect of the rite is that the bishop gives us the liturgy of the hours and tells us that we're supposed to pray without ceasing for the salvation of the world. Mm -hmm. So trying to kind of cultivate, cultivate that recollection and um, to live in the presence of God all the time and to intercede for people, I guess, in a deeper way. Um, so as far as like my own personal prayer life, things that are most important are, um, daily mass, mm -hmm. praying before the blessed sacrament, praying the liturgy of the hours, Mary and devotion, especially the Holy Rosary. Um, so things like that are really important in my prayer life each day. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that struck me is the importance of community, because I can imagine it must be difficult sometimes to strike that balance between a quiet life of prayer and solitude and then involvement in the community. And I'm reminded of St. Gemma Golgani, who, of course, like had a different vocation, but she, she felt strongly that she had a religious vocation, but due to her health, she was unable to enter the convent. So she lived this vocation out in the world. So it's a little bit of a different story, but she she writes often of the distractions that abounded in her home life and just in her town and things that aren't bad, but they're just, 
you know, necessary to be in the world. And so for um, some people, and certainly in her mind, she considered it somewhat of a luxury to be able to make a retreat in the convent, to be away from the world in order to just unite herself closely with Jesus during those times. So I guess my question is, how do you, how do you find that balance? And then what advice do you have for anyone, even lay people who are struggling to strike that balance and take that time for uh, quiet reflection and prayer throughout the day? Sure. So like you said, it's really a balance. Um, and it's, it's not just, um, it's, it's not just kind of me and Jesus all the time in terms of, I do a lot of things to help serve in the, in the parish and community as well. Um, so I guess the heart of it has to be in terms of, if you think about it, like a marriage, you have to have that communication and that contact and so on with your spouse. Otherwise it's not going to work. Um, but then the other part of it is, okay, so now that um, you have this love in your heart, how can you share it with other people? So I think that an important thing for me is to kind of um, to have a specific plan in my day. And it might not always be exactly the same, but to kind of try to say, okay, I, I know that some of the most important things to me are going to daily mass. So for instance, since I work full time, um, I go to daily mass on my lunch hour and then um, I know that one of the first things I'm going to do when I get up in the morning is to do my morning prayers in the liturgy of the hours. Um, and then I, I usually try in the evening to either go for a walk and say the rosary or to say the rosary in front of the blessed sacrament and then to spend time in adoration at night as well. Um, so kind of trying to, to plan those things, but then also um, whether I'm helping to care for someone who is sick or whether I'm helping um, to teach in the, in the parish or whether I'm helping to do, you know, a variety of different volunteer activities. Um, so I think that's the kind of the most important thing. So think about what you really believe God is calling you to do and to be faithful to it. So don't start off with something big and massive. Sometimes I think we it, it's really easy to complicate things, but start maybe smaller with things that you can be faithful to do, faithful to, and always add on. Um, I really can't stress the importance of spiritual direction as well. If you're able to have a spiritual director, they can help guide you in your prayer life and in kind of striking those balances as well. Mm -hmm. Community is really important regardless of your vocation. Mm -hmm. that, that's a great point. And one of the aspects of community that I know we've talked about before is these friendship groups, these reading groups that you are founding and um, trying to organize. And I always find it helpful to, to have uh, that sort of accountability too, just in a reading group or some sort of discussion group where you're forced to really engage with the material in a deeper way. So we've been doing these podcasts, for example. Um, can you speak a little bit about those and how that really combines both spiritual direction and community in a unique way? Sure. So the idea of friendship groups, I actually um, was inspired when I went on a retreat at St. Joseph's Retreat House in Boston, and I encountered the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. And the first time I heard about them was through Sophia Press, because I read a book by Father Timothy Gallagher, and I was so moved by his book um, on the struggles in the spiritual life. I remember saying, if I had this book like 30 years ago, my discernment process would have been so much easier, <laughs> and my life would have been so much easier. Um, so I was, I happened to be looking actually for graduate work, so I could obtain a master's in apologetics in addition to like secular things I already had in place. But 
anyway, um, I came across St. Joseph's Retreat House and I said, oh, that's the same order as Father Gallagher. I need to go there. So <laughs> I went there and it was an amazing transformative experience. And I was talking with the director toward the end of the retreat. And he mentioned that their, the founder of their order, Venerable Bruno Lanteri, had founded something called friendship groups and that someday they had maybe hoped to get them started again. And when they started, um, the idea was that a spiritual book could help change the world. So if you give somebody a copy of a St. Alphonsus Liguori book, you don't know how much it could touch them and how much it could really change the trajectory of their life. Um, but it was not just to read in isolation, but to come together and read with others and then to discuss it. And then there would be kind of a priest director or something in charge of the group. And he would also help guide them through the Ignatian exercises, which is really important for discernment. And just, I guess, day-to-day -day living, whether you're encountering spiritual warfare or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. um, so the idea is that you can kind of discuss what you're reading together, that you can support each other on your journey as well. Um, and they have so many amazing books. Like the first one we're going to read is on overcoming struggles in the spiritual life. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yes. Well, one thing that came up as as you were talking is recognizing this importance of prayer and the contemplative aspect of things in aiding the mystical body of Christ and how there is actually a communal aspect in these personal devotions. So I'm reminded, I can't remember which saint or blessed said this, but uh, something like all of the good that I have done is because there's one contemplative non-praying for me or praying for just in general, the, the salvation of souls. So that um, I think must have a very beautiful expression in your vocation because you do have both. You have the contemplative side and you have this this community aspect. And it reminded me too, I think you've mentioned that as part of, or one of the sort of privileges associated with this vocation is that you will now have your own home chapel. Is that correct? With the Blessed Sacrament. Um, and that just, just is so beautiful, not only for personal devotion, but also thinking of how that unites you to, to all Catholics attending mass throughout the world, attending adoration. Uh, can you speak a little bit to how what that has meant, not only in terms of increasing your Eucharistic devotion, but also um, uniting you to the rest of Catholics as a whole? Sure. Um, so definitely, I've been very blessed that my bishop has been very supportive of my vocation and consecrated virgins are allowed because it's a form of, of public life in the church. They can ask their bishop for permission to reserve the blessed sacrament. So thankfully my bishop did give me permission. Um, so I think that for me personally, the, the Holy Eucharist is the heartbeat of my life. And the first time I encountered our Lord in the Holy Eucharist, I'm a cradle Catholic. However, I, I'm not sure about you. I think as you're growing up, sometimes we don't always appreciate what, what we have and the treasures we have. And so I honestly don't remember um, making my first holy hour until I went to a World Youth Day when I was 16. And when I was at the World Youth Day, a priest was talking and it happened to be a presentation where he was speaking while the Blessed Sacrament was exposed. And all of a sudden it just clicked. I'm like, Jesus is there in the Holy Eucharist and he loves me so much that he would remain there under a piece of bread for love of me under the appearance of bread. So I need to give my life totally to him. So to have Jesus here in my home, 
I, I guess is the greatest gift and blessing. I can remember after I made my confirmation and received the permission to reserve the blessed sacrament, thinking like St. Therese, you know, God, you have fulfilled all my desires because I'm married to you and, and now you're you're here with me. So it, it's an amazing consolation and blessing for sure. Um, I have a group of friends that we have a cynical that meets at my house once a week. So they're very excited also to be able to pray the rosary and prayers together before the blessed sacrament too. Right. Wow. What an amazing, that, that is just the pinnacle of any Catholic life. I would think just to, to have that amazing privilege and responsibility too. But <clears throat> yeah, I think, I mean, for anyone out there who might be considering this vocation or might not know it exists, what discernment advice would you give? I know discernment is oftentimes when we talk about it, it's a, it's a lifelong process for many. And uh, once you have fulfilled your vocation, the discernment within that vocation, you know, we always need to be constantly asking the Holy Spirit for guidance in, in the smaller things. But you clearly have undergone a lot of discernment. And um, would you define it as an ongoing process? And then what advice would you give to anyone unsure of their vocation at the moment? Um, so I think that some important things are definitely to have a consistent prayer life and some sort of form of prayer life. Um, if you're able to go to daily mass, that's wonderful. Um, praying before the blessed sacrament, asking our lady to help you. St. Joseph is, is an amazing guardian and intercessor and has helped me immensely as well. Um, again, finding a good spiritual director and discussing your vocation with them, discerning your vocation with them is immensely helpful. Um, and also if, if you're looking specifically at consecrated virginity, for instance, if you're able to try to talk with other consecrated virgins, they can share with you more about the life. Um, I joined a group on Facebook. I can't remember how many years ago, a couple of years ago, that's dedicated to consecrated virginity. So I was able to ask a lot of questions that way too. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes if you're not able to find somebody that easily, you could also talk to, um, you, you know, religious and so on too, that might have some familiarity with the vocation. So mm -hmm. those are all important things. Mm -hmm. As part of the formation process, I kind of had a mentor. So I did, um, I did meet and talk more than once with other consecrated virgins, but I also worked with a religious sister and I, one of my best friends is a religious brother. So we were in close contact too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you clearly see how God placed the right people in your life at these various times um, to get to where you are now. <laughs> yes. So also, Mary Beth, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say also as part of the formation, you learn about the history of consecrated virginity mm -hmm. and there are special like formation books and things like that too. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. <clears throat> well, thank you so much for joining us today and shedding light on your beautiful testimony and this really hidden vocation to a lot of people. Where can we look for what's happening next with you? I know you'll continue to write for Catholic Exchange, but do you have any other projects you're working on? I am. Um, I've been working on a book and some other projects. If you go onto my blog, if you just type in my name, Mary Beth Bracey, and the little way you can find a blog I have, and you can okay. see some of the other books I've written and things on there too. Okay, great. We'll definitely keep an eye out for that. Thanks again for joining us. And everyone, thank you for tuning in. We will see you again next week. God bless.
Thank you.